This is the Place for a Purpose podcast. We want to help you live out what Jesus said was the most important thing you could do with your life. Love God and love your neighbor, including your next door neighbors. So we're going to keep neighboring on your mind by encouraging you with practical ways to connect with those next door so you can live knowing you've been placed for a purpose because your address is not an accident and neither is your neighbor's. Welcome to the Place for a Purpose podcast. We are your hosts, Chris and Elizabeth McKinney. And today we have the godfather of neighboring. (laughs) The OG. Some might even call him the OG of neighboring, Dave Runyon. I think Jesus started the neighboring thing, but he quickly handed the baton off to Dave. So Dave is the (laughs) author of The Art of Neighboring, which was very influential in our lives as we began thinking about getting to know our neighbors. It's good to have you. It is great to connect with you again. It's been great to connect with you over the years. I'm excited to be on and to be able to share some of my story with you. I am not the OG. There were lots of people that were doing this work before me and before Jay, the co-author of the book. But thank you for the high praise, even if it's not deserved. Who were some of the people who had an influence on you then in this space? Wow. There's a guy named John McKnight. He wrote a book called Asset Based Community Development. And it's a big green book that in the kind of the community development world, some consider it the Bible for that world. It's not overtly spiritual, but he was a huge, huge influence. There's a guy named Randy Frazee, who a long time ago was on staff at Willow Creek. And before he came to Willow Creek, he was in Texas. And he was one of the first people that I've seen kind of in the modern evangelical church movement that really got a hold of the neighboring stuff. And so he had done a lot of fascinating stuff with his church on orienting people around proximity. But then there was a big gap. There's about, I don't know, a 15-year gap where nobody's really in our circles in the Christian subculture talking about literal neighboring. And then we just wrote this little book that says, hey, Christians should learn their neighbors' names and use their names and be a part of good parties. And Jay and I wrote this book thinking our moms were going to put it on a bookshelf and tell people that their kids wrote a book. And we had zero, (laughs) we had no idea because it was so simple. It was just so stinking simple. We had no idea that it would get traction. It's been a fun ride. We were actually just talking about that yesterday, how just the impact of the art of neighboring and the impact that it's continued to have. You wrote it in 2012. So 13 years ago. Yeah. 11. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm really bad at math. I wasn't going to listen. Come on, Chris. Haven't you learned anything? How long have you been married? I'm still learning. I am still learning. Yeah, clearly. Okay. <laughs> All right. I wasn't going to correct her. I was going to be like, yeah, 13 for sure. Yeah. 23 minus 12. Moving 13. on. Moving on. <laughs> moving on. <laughs> so why do you think that it gains such traction? What did that book, whether it was the title or the idea... What kind of nerve did that strike? And why do people still want that book so much? I think the refrigerator magnet, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but I think the concrete clear tool that gave people like, here's a little scorecard to know how well you're doing at just knowing your neighbor's names, like a really simple thing. That little refrigerator magnet that just kind of laid out a grid and said, use this to fill in your eight closest neighbor's names. I think that was the key to everything. It was clear, it was simple, and it was we were asking people to do something that was attainable. We didn't ask people to love their neighbor stuff. And would you just know your neighbor's names? 
like learn their names. Let's start there. Now, if you get people to learn their neighbors' names, a lot of times organic things start to take place as a result. I think that little block map, the little tic-tac-toe board exercise was the sleepy kind of like underrated piece of the book that allowed it to get so much traction. Yeah, it's that simple, doable. It's not a lot of guilt, not a lot of shame, but it's like that invitation into the simple steps, I think, is what people find. Even the title, we were talking about this on the drive over, like the art of neighboring versus like the science of neighboring. Like even in the title, it's kind of like, wait a second, there's an art to it. Yeah, I don't feel like I know how to do this on a relational, creative kind of way. Why the title, the art of neighboring or how did that come to be? For us, a lot of this started with a group of pastors who were coming together trying to figure out how do we serve our city together. And we were with our mayor. Our mayor basically said, listen, if you guys want to change our city, you should start a neighboring movement. That was the catalyst for us to do everything that we did was hearing our mayor say, you guys should do the Bible. He wasn't saying it like that. He wasn't coming at it from a faith perspective. He was literally saying neighboring matters. It impacts cities in deep and profound ways. And so if you could get people to be on this journey of towards neighboring, it would make a big difference in our city. And one of the pastors, after the mayor left, and one of the pastors in the room, we need to come together. We need to rediscover the art of neighboring. And so, you know, we just shortened it down and it fit with us. It's the art. It's not a science. It's a dance. It's a journey that you're learning on. And that's been a really helpful posture move for us along the way. Did you ever feel like it was difficult to get believers because you were a pastor? Did you ever feel like it was difficult to get believers to value? I don't know. How do I want to say it? Like to value the small things, to value the things that in some ways could feel secular. Do you know what I mean by that? I felt like the struggle was more about it was like, hey, it was helping people get really specific about this idea of like their literal neighbor. That was the real struggle is people were like, listen, I do the love your neighbor thing. I'm serving in this nonprofit. I do this thing overseas. I do that thing. And so the real struggle is going like, hey, Jesus meant your actual neighbors too. And like helping people like say this matters a lot. And so that was really the biggest challenge for us. And hardly any pastors in the room, including myself, were really involved in it. We were all like busy running our churches, doing other things and serving on nonprofit boards. And so the hardest part was getting the faith leaders to go, wait a minute, there's a gap here. Jesus said I should love my neighbor. And like I've figured out ways to do it outside of my actual neighborhood to get the faith leaders to slow down and to take a long look in the mirror and go, something's off here. I don't even know most of my neighbor's names and I'm going to fix that. That's good. So as you know, you're saying, okay, we want you to think about your literal next door neighbors and we want you to reach out. As believers, you know, we can have this tendency to be like, okay, the goal then is to reach out and get somebody to church, or I need to be able to share my testimony. And so I love that you addressed kind of the motives then and kind of embracing the process in your book. So tell us more about like how you came up with the idea of ultimate motives versus ulterior. And what are you trying to do through talking about those two motives? That's been one of the biggest learning lessons that we've had throughout this is that if people go into this feeling this weight and charged up and like, you know, I'm doing this because I've got to get to know my neighbor so that then I can get him saved or her saved or then I get him to church, like it just gets weird 
and like the neighbors feel all that stuff. And like the reality is in our culture, when a Christian does something nice for somebody else, a lot of times the person, if they don't have faith, they start bracing themselves yeah. for what weird thing is going to happen. And I hate that. I wish that wasn't the case, but we just need to be realistic. That's the case. Like there's a lot of people in our network or our group that have like done weird things to other people. And so there's a lot of baggage we're encountering. And so nobody wants to feel like they're a target when they do. It just breaks away any kind of authenticity. And so one of the things that we like to just encourage people to think about is like, if you knew your neighbor was never going to take a step towards God, do you think Jesus' command to love your neighbor still stands? And of course, when you phrase it like that, everybody goes, oh, yeah. And here's the truth. When we engage this as a discipline, not as like an evangelism strategy, it creates soil for us to share our stories and to actually do the evangelism thing that people want to do. And we go, no, this is a practice. This is something that God has asked me to do. I would do this regardless of what somebody else decides. This is a discipline that I've been invited into. When that's our posture, it's just a complete, all of a sudden people... Tim Keller said this a while ago. He's like, I'm really, I'm really not into friendship evangelism. I'm really into friendship. Mm. And I could give you 20 other different lines that like Eric Swanson, who's a common friend, Eric says, we don't do this to convert people. We do yeah. this because we're converted. Mm-hmm. And that, if you can help people understand that posture. Now, I'm like a raging evangelist. I want everyone to know Jesus. I don't want people to hear this. Like, I want everyone in my life to like have their world wreck turned upside down and to orient it around the life and the teachings of Jesus. That's deeply important to me. But I know this, in our culture, in our day, we have to understand that a lot of our neighbors, especially people like us, like we're in ministry, we're even working (laughs) from a bigger deficit, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I just think we need to be realistic about that and like be honest about it. And the other thing is, I think we need to like take some of the, we geared up and by things that we say and don't say sometimes it's easy for us to like, put all this pressure on the people that we're leading, that they think they have to like go and they have this deep, deep urgency to like, go and force conversations that don't feel natural. The easiest for us to just like, pay for, you know, 12 years with our neighbor about things that really matter. Both of those are grave errors. And so I think it's just important for us to understand there's a tension there. And for us to be praying and saying, God, what's the next step that you want me to take with one of my neighbors? What does that look like? And maybe the next step is just learning a name. Maybe the next step is just going over there and like having them over for dinner, even though you've never done that in 10 years or asking about the person's garden. You know, those are all legitimate next steps. So how have you seen that posture and having ultimate motives of, okay, I want my neighbors to know Jesus, but I'm not coming in with that ulterior motive. I'm not coming in with the bait and switch, trying to just get in the church invite. And if they're not spiritually interested, then I'm done. How have you seen that posture of wanting them to know Christ? How has that played out in your relationships and conversations? Or Well, and when you have had a background like I've had where I was a pastor, that changes the dynamic. There's a lot of disadvantages to that. Then there's some advantages because when there's a crisis. A lot of people start to kind of like turn towards you. We had a neighbor, an elderly neighbor took his own life about six years ago. And it was just Mm. painful and awful. And it was a moment that I was able to step in and help pastor some people in our neighborhood. And things go on with kids and different things. Like So a lot of times it's crisis based. There's a lot of opportunities there when things go wrong to be like a calming presence that is drawing from a deeper source. A lot of times for me, 
a lot of what I do is I help people surface their weird experiences they've had with Christians. I mean, one of the best conversations starters for me is just to go, hey, what weird things yeah. have you experienced with Christians over the years? Like, just allow people to, like, say, oh, man, I had this one time, right? You know, like, a lot of people, if they seem kind of hesitant or nervous around you, it's because they are. It's because they've had. So just allow space for people to share about negative experiences they've had in the church and be able to be empathetic around that and be able to go, man, I'm sorry. Like, that's awful. Mm -hmm. And not feel like you have to fix it or, like, give them the answer right away. Sometimes it's just asking simple things like, hey, tell me, like, did you guys grow up going to church at all? You know, that's a spiritual question. Sometimes it's just a spiritual, like it's just learning how to live below the depth with people. It's just asking something like, your kids are 10 years older than ours. What do you wish you would have known about parenting? What would you do differently if you go back to where the kids at my age, you know, like it's just learning how to like live below the depth with people is a spiritual exercise. And it doesn't have to always be like, well, okay, here's you and here's sin and then here's the cross like those are great conversations those are important those are massively important conversations but living below the depth with people is what allows you to be able to get to places where you're sharing the things that matter most and sharing with how you think about the world how you think about god and so for me that's been a huge learning for me with my neighbors has just been to look for ways to be a person that lives lives at depth with others in all things. And then it's so much easier to have conversations about the spiritual things when you have deep relationships, when you've talked about struggles and ups and downs with your kids and with different things. It's natural and it's easy to have those conversations. It doesn't feel like you're jumping off a high dive. And you even hit on this reality of asking for help, I think, is a great way to live in that below the surface, even asking that neighbor, hey, you have kids that are older than mine, what would you have done differently? What is some advice? So I remember when we read that in Art of Neighboring, that was like, whoa, this is something that I would have never thought of. But man, this has proven itself to be so important in building trust and relationships with our neighbors, this idea of asking for help and receiving help. When you guys were originally thinking about neighboring, like, was that something that you had read somewhere else? Or was that something that you guys are like, no, this is a practice that I've done in my life in general. And I think it could be really important as we get to know our neighbors. Yeah, I'm sure there's lots of smart people that have written about it, but we just kind of fell backwards into it. For us, I think it was started to realize, wait a minute, as a Christian, like it's really easy for us to like show up and especially as pastors show up into every situation thinking my job is to like have the answers. My job is to help like fix things. And even when I started down the neighboring journey, I started thinking, man, I wonder like who are people really in need in our neighborhood? I just defaulted into that. And that's great. Like I think that for us as Christians to be serving is awesome. But I also started to realize that like if you're just always showing up to serve and to be the person to like meet the need, those types of relationships are really limited. And we've all had those like relationships in our life where you're like, you've got the person who's doing really helpful to you. And then you ask like, Hey, what's going on in your world? Or how can I help? And they're just always like, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Real relationships are reciprocal two way streets. And I think for us to learn that in our neighborhood, that happens in like big and small ways. It happens when we ask our neighbor, like, you're always out working on your car. I don't even know how to change my headlight, but I've got the headlight. Could you show me how to do this? Yeah. Like, that's like a small thing. And I could go to Grease Monkey and do that. Or to like whatever the place is. Like, I could get that done somewhere else. But just going like, hey, I'm just going to engage this person who knows about this and like ask a small question. Or to like 
the neighbor who has like the yard that looks like the fairway on a golf course, like just ask that person, like, Hey, what are you doing over there? You know, I remember asking my neighbor that once and he gave me like a 10 minute sermon on everything he does from like January to December. And there's no way I'm going to do all the stuff he does to his yard. (laughs) (laughs) But he came alive. Yeah. Just being able to share that stuff with me and, you know, just asking questions, you know, borrowing something instead of like taking a 30 minute round trip to the store. It's a small act of vulnerability that goes a long way. And so I think that was like the biggest learning lesson that God showed me just personally through this. There's deep power in receiving. I mean, Jesus does it. There's so many different times. The woman comes into the party and like falls down at his feet and is crying and busting open the alabaster jar, making this huge scene in this party in front of all of these like religious leaders. Jesus lets it happen. He doesn't like go, whoa, whoa, whoa. He doesn't like stop and go, hey, this is awkward. You got to stop. Even though he's not getting like some massive benefit out of this, but he's saying, no, there's something going on here that I'm going to let this play out. You know, I'm going to actually receive this thing that this happening. And I think he's modeling for us. There's power. There's something sacred that happens when somebody receives something and when somebody gives something, you know, on both sides of that fence. That was one of the ways, and I know you said it already, but that was one of the biggest impacts the book had on me because right from the very beginning, you talked about that power differential and how we as Christians like to come in as the person of power, I think you said. And I hadn't thought of myself as coming in with like power, but in a sense, like we had resources like to pull off like a street party or something like that, or even just taking the initiative in the very beginning. It was like other people may have wanted to do that, but didn't for whatever reason. And so when you put yourself out there like that, having your message of receiving was, it really helped ground us in the neighborhood. And I think it started with simple things like having people bring the forks or the tablecloths or like you said, reaching out for simple things. Like someone would ask us, can we bring something? And because of that idea, we always say yes. Versus like, can we bring something? Yes. Do you want to bring some chips? It's like, yeah, we'd love to bring some chips. It's like, great. You bring the chips, you bring the plates, you bring the napkins. But then it grew. And that's what I was going to say. It grew to seeing that our neighbors had so much more to offer us. Like our next door neighbor is a therapist and we come from very different worldviews, but she has expertise. And there's, we believe like all truth is God's truth. And so there have been pain points in our lives where we've kind of shared what we're going through and I'll ask for her advice. And God's used her in some ways in my life. And I think honoring her and showing, I think it shows her dignity. It honors her that she's an image bearer And just because we come from different worldviews doesn't mean I can't benefit from her. And I could give a lot of other examples, but that's just one of how we've received. I love it. I don't want to put you on the spot, but leaning towards this, but you've been doing some work and thinking a lot about the Beatitudes and how that impacts neighboring. Give me like, I want to hear, I want the listeners to hear this. Give me a couple minutes on that. How is that challenging you? How's that impacting you? Because you started to share there and started to remind me a little bit of that. Yeah. I mean, even in the asking for help, I think if, as we've been looking at the Beatitudes, you know, it starts with blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. Needy neighbors. Needy neighbors. Being a needy neighbor is a good thing. And if you look at the rest of the Beatitudes, 
they just kind of build on this idea of being poor in spirit, being needy, being someone who is reliant and dependent, first of all, on God, and then on others as well, and not being self-sufficient and self-confident and independent. And so I think that for me has been one of the things that's really been important as I've thought about, okay, how do I want to show up? How do I walk this way of Jesus, which is laid out in the Beatitudes with my neighbors? And I think that deferring and that posture of neediness is a good place to start. It's good. It's really good. For me, people ask me, what's your favorite Beatitude? (laughs) And I would say probably meekness. I grew up kind of thinking it was a dirty word. Like, who would want to be meek? That's, ew, that's so meh. Yeah. But really, meekness is the way of Jesus. It's going second, and it's putting your neighbor's needs first. And you can do that because we have a delayed inheritance. I'm an instant gratification. I want my needs met now, but being able to delay my own, whether it's my ego in that moment of wanting attention or whatever it is, I can defer to thinking about my neighbor and what they might need. And then also righteousness, practicing righteousness. I had never really thought about being satisfied by doing good works and coming from a background where, like you, we have a heart to see our neighbors come to know Christ. We have that big heart. And so how do good deeds fit in? No, I totally get what you're saying, Elizabeth. I like it. That speaks to me. It's so satisfying to do those good deeds. Yeah. We're created to be satisfied by visiting a neighbor, bringing a meal. And you said this too. It's not just doing it for them. It's also receiving. And that's so important. But practicing righteousness in our neighborhoods, I don't know if I ever made the connection of just how important that is. And we were created for it. And what's been cool, too, is we've been studying the Beatitudes. Our neighbors will be like, you know, so what are you guys up to? And it's like, well, we're writing a book on the Beatitudes and neighboring. And with some of them, we're like, have you ever heard of the Beatitudes? And they're like, no, what is it? And so we got to say, well, it's this teaching of Jesus on how he wants his followers to live in this world, to be needy and to show mercy and to be peacemakers. peacemakers. And it's been a really cool just like, jumping off point into a conversation about Jesus. And so I've heard you talk about similar ways that you've had spiritual conversations with your neighbors where you try to kind of point people to Jesus. How have you done that? Or how have you seen that happen? And what kind of would you say is some good thoughts on how to have some of those spiritual conversations with our neighbors? I already gave you all my best stuff. I start with like, (laughs) I start seriously, I mean, I start with meeting them with where they're at. You know, I start when there's crisis, when there's stuff going on with their kids. I look for opportunities to say, I got it. Are you in that? My neighbors are coming to me to ask me questions. And this is like, I think, I don't want to over-spiritualize this, but like we should be living in a way where our neighbors are seeing something different about the pace that we live at, about how we parent. The parenting stuff has been, you know, has been a huge, huge point of connection And that's led into spiritual conversations. You know, a lot of families probably have something like this. Like we have some of the best advice we got around parenting was like, hey, your kids are only going to remember a few things. Like, what are the ones you really want them? What are the things that you really want them to take away from your home? And then identify those and repeat them over and over and over again. So, you know, show me your friends. 
your friends have a massive impact on your future. That's like one of the things. So like we have this list of like little 10 little things. And a lot of them are biblical, but we shared that with our neighbors. I mean, they've just been all over it. And they're just like, what else do you like? Where does this come from? Like, yeah. Yeah. What are some of the other ones? You only said one. <laughs> <laughs> who you date is who you marry. It's like a big, huge thing for us. People are more important than things. So we will like drive that home over and over again. The way that Jesus talks about living really is the best way to live. That's like a huge thing for us. I don't know. I'll just send them to you. You can put them in the show notes. <laughs> yes. But yeah, I've got this like top 10, but it's just been one of those things that's been an amazing connection piece to, and they're like biblical, like all these things for us are biblical things. And so then it's just been this huge connection piece to our neighbors, especially the ones that have younger kids. Our kids aren't perfect, but they've watched our kids. And they're good enough where they're like, where it's created curiosity from some of our neighbors to go, oh, tell me more about that. That's been a huge place of like having spiritual conversations in our neighborhood. I think as our neighbors see our kids disobey us and they see how needy we are as parents, it it sends a message that they could become believers too. Because if God can accept us, he can accept anyone. Now, listen, I don't want to overspeak. Like, my neighbors have seen me yell at my kids, lose oh, yeah. my stinking mind. They've seen, like, all the bad stuff, too. And so I don't want to, like, pretend like my neighbors are looking at me at, like, some kind of parenting guru. But those types of things, those are, like, the natural points where we can talk to people about spiritual things. That's just been big for us. Well, it's both. It's like sharing in your failures, how God meets you in those failures. But then it's also sharing kind of the bigger rocks and the bigger vision that you have. And yeah, God uses both of those things. So I think it's probably easy to look at our time now and be like, it's way more polarized. We're more contentious than we were in 2012. I think that's probably generally true. I'm curious, like if you were to write Art of Neighboring Now, and you see how hard it is for us to interact with people who have different views. I mean, even a different lawn sign of a different candidate, if your next door neighbor has a different lawn sign, it can make it hard to even want to talk to them for some of us. What thoughts would you have as we head into another election cycle of like interacting with neighbors who might hold very different views than us? I mean, the main thought I have as we head into another election cycle is I'm just really sad. But you probably don't want to hear that. No, no, I want to hear what Like, seriously. Yeah. Like, I think the connection point for me with a lot of my neighbors is just being able to go, man, weren't we all just like really depressed that like these, this is the best we can do? Weren't we all thinking this? Like, and now we're just going to go back four years from now. And I, it looks like we're going to be like in this exact same position. This is really sad. Like, I just connect my neighbors over that. It's like, Groundhog's by Day. Way, that's something that 90% of people can probably agree on. But I've got neighbors that are really have really strong opinions about different things that I have strong opinions on. And just being able to say like, hey, we're still going to be yeah. friends. Even though you think about things this way and I think about that, like we can still be friends. And this is the beauty of the neighboring thing. When you're doing the neighboring thing, you're guaranteeing that you're hanging out with people that think about the world differently than you do, radically different. And being able to lean into that and still be in connection and relationship with those people, that's the antidote to the polarization. And so I think... All of your friends don't have to think the same way that you do. And it's really easy to like get into this mindset of like going, my friends are all going to have this, this, and this, and we're all going to think this way. And we're all going to like be the exact same. That is false. That's not how Jesus lived his life. He was like constantly putting himself in connection and relationship with people who had vast differences to where he was 
and he models that for us. He's always, Jesus is always hanging out with people that make the religious people nervous. That's like a discipline that nobody talks about. Jesus is like, are your religious friends nervous about who you're hanging out with? That might mean you're being Jesus-like. So good. <laughs> so now, if you're like a high school kid listening to this, don't listen to that. I'm not telling you to go hang out with like all friends that are like... That's not on your top 10 list. Like I wouldn't tell my like, hey, you should just be with all the kids that are getting... That's not on my parenting top 10. Go hang out with all the people that are getting hammered every week. But I am saying that for us as adults is like, that's clearly, that's how Jesus lives his life. He's constantly putting himself into relationships with people that are outside of his defined faith circle. And he is, he's inviting them. He's saying, hey, like there's a different way to live. And I think that's our posture. That's what we should be up to is we should be like hanging out with people who think differently about the world and saying like, there's a different way to live. And by the way, I don't need my neighbors to think the exact same way about politics that I do to be able to say, hey, there's a different way to live. That isn't like the essential, especially with how like messed up everything is right now. Neither side has like the, <laughs> like neither side should be like really proud of being like, oh, we're just killing it on all fronts. With being in relationships with people that are very different from us can come conflict. Have there been neighbors that either you've needed to be forgiven or you've needed to extend forgiveness? Oh, yeah. If you do neighboring, you're going to experience tension. If you're not experiencing any tension, you're doing it wrong. Like, I think a lot of times we think we're supposed to run away from the tension. And my neighbor, like, said a bunch of jokes in front of our kids the other day that, like, were just, like, super inappropriate. And I was like, dude, we don't talk like that yeah. around our kids. And this is, like, the 20th time I've said this conversation with him. And he's had a few drinks and he's like, screw you. Like, what are you doing? You're in my house. I'm like, all right, whatever. You know, but we get over it. It's like not a huge deal. But like, if you're not having conversations like this, then you're living in like some kind of like Stepford Wives neighborhood, or you're just not getting below the surface. Like you will have tension. That means you're winning. That means you're winning. Tension isn't bad. It means like you're actually starting to get to some of the good stuff. And there's been times with our neighbors where our kids got into it and like it caused like a deal and we had to go and clean it up and sort it out. And it didn't happen overnight. And by the way, it's the worst when you get into this stuff and you like believe and you start to understand like God is doing something sacred in my neighborhood. And then we've been there sideways. It sucks. It's awful. (laughs) It's awful. It's so hard. But this is like what it's like to be in the game. This is like where God wants us. He wants us. We're getting equipped where we go every Sunday at church and then we're going back out. Like, this is the real deal. This is the lab where we're supposed to be living out our Christian faith. That's super encouraging to hear because as we've been in relationships with people and sometimes they've even started to follow Jesus and then it's like three steps forward, two steps back. And then sometimes it's like 20 steps back. And then, like you said, there's tension or things that we're kind of bearing with. And it's easy to get discouraged and to think, well, what's happening, God? What is going on? Because it's in your neighborhood. We live in a cul-de-sac. And it's like, every time you pull out of your cul-de-sac, you're reminded of that (laughs) situation and your heart can get heavy. Oh, so good, Elizabeth. Yes, I've been there. I've lived it. And it's exactly, it doesn't mean you bail. Experiencing some of that tension, that's what God wants us to be up to. Like, he's not saying, hey, I want you to live a life of being comfortable. He's saying, listen, like, I want you to be stretched at times. I want you to risk. I want you to lean into the mildly awkward moments. That's the good stuff. 
That's where we're supposed to be. That'd be like my biggest thing to the listeners that like, if you're not experiencing any tension around this, you're doing it wrong. Or maybe you're just in the early stages. That's okay too. Keep leaning in. You're going to experience tension. You're going to bump up against these neighbors who like, just think about the world differently than you do, have totally different values that you do, that parent differently than you do, that take care of their things differently and their yard differently than you do. And that's okay. Like learning how to stay connected to people like that, that's the heartbeat of where Jesus wants us. It's what he did in his life. It's what he demonstrated to us. It's the kind of life that he's called us into. And for a lot of our neighbors, it's more and more people aren't going to church. People aren't, you know, engaging in some of these. They're not coming across other believers. And so you reaching out to your neighbor, it might be one of the only opportunities they have to interact with someone who follows Jesus. And I think that's just a really exciting thought as we think about taking some of those steps. Well, and it's for our own formation, too. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. I love what you guys are up to. I think like this podcast and just the voice, the material, the first book that you wrote, the stuff that you kind of continue to create. I think it's where I just encourage people like, go grab this, grab their stuff, Chris and Elizabeth's stuff and like dial in because it's super practical. And some of these tensions that we've been talking about, it helps you actually walk through and live this out in real life. It's awesome. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for all your encouragement over the years and your friendship. Thanks for being with us here today and for encouraging us. And I feel like I'm reminded as we walk away from the conversation, and I love how you do this, you just call us to be ourselves. Like, be real, be who you are, ask honest questions, share honestly of where you're at, kind of the humanness of neighboring and just bringing that to the table, I think is such a great reminder. We can just be ourselves and God can work through that. So thanks again for being with us. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, well said, well said. Thanks for tuning in. Leave us a comment with your thoughts on today's episode or let us know other topics related to neighboring you wanna talk about. Or follow the link in the show notes to share a neighboring story with us. Tell us what you're trusting God for in your neighborhood and how you're seeing God at work. You can also follow Placed for a Purpose on Instagram, and you can help others find us by leaving a review, subscribing, and sharing this episode with a friend. Music